Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see everyone here. I know the, the weather probably has uh, thrown plans for the, for the weekend into, uh, into a blender and uh, also um, can uh, just deter our efforts to worship. But we're glad that you're here, we're glad to worship the Lord together. Please join me in prayer. Father, it is, it is good to know that we can participate in the worship of your beauty even now. And that in worshiping your beauty now, the anticipation of, of worshiping you in concert with believers from every tribe and language throughout the histories whom you have gathered to yourself and continue and will continue to gather to yourself. So on that day of days, uh, that eternity, that moment that will last forever when we stand and worship and praise you and dine with you, all these things, Lord God, we anticipate by faith and with the assurance of hope that you give us through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, on this day of days, we also remember that those uh, there are those from our own nation who have answered the call to serve you in, in the armed forces. And even those, Lord God, who serve you as first responders, but in remembering those who have answered the call or have volunteered to serve our nation and who have died in that cause, we, we thank you, O oh Lord, for their willingness uh, to die um, for something greater than themselves, to fight for something greater than themselves. A reminder and an illustration, O Lord God, of Christ's own death for us. For he died not only for the the sake of your glory, but he died that we might look forward to that day of days when we stand in your presence and worship you. And so we give you thanks, Lord God, for the sacrifice, not only of those who gave their lives, but for the families, Lord, who, uh, who grieve even now and who are in need of the comfort of your spirit in remembering those who have laid down their lives for this nation. We also pray, Lord, for your continued presence among us as we worship. We ask that you would be with Pastor John as he will preach this afternoon at New Hope Fellowship, and we pray that as your spirit rests upon him, he would bring a word of encouragement and exhortation Uh, to our brothers and sisters there. We pray for the congregation at New Hope that their ministry in Tarrytown would continue uh, to go forward and to prosper, Lord, as they seek seek to share the gospel there. We pray for the Mueller's, Lord, as they are uh, apart from us now in Colorado. We ask that you would bless them and watch over them and, and keep them and see, Lord God, that they return to us safely at the end of the summer. We also pray, Lord, having just uh, sent the children to learn at MKids more of who Jesus is, we thank you for the ministry of MKids, for the ability, Lord, to train up our children in the knowledge of Christ, that they would know Jesus more and more. And so we would ask that you would continue to bless the ministry of MKids, for, for Ricky and Sue Jung as they lead that, for the teachers, Lord, as well, who participate in that. And that are the children themselves, Lord, would know better who Jesus is and, and truly, as much as they are able to understand the power of your grace. 
Father, we turn our attention to your word and we would ask that your spirit would now speak to us. Not only a word of uh, exhortation in terms of being able to discern what is the true from the false gospel, but also, Lord, would give us an increasing hunger for the true. That we would, we would know the truth and know you so well and so intimately that there would be no danger, no risk of being misled or deceived by anything that is less than the gospel or any Jesus who is less than or even as those would try to make more than who he is. But in all things, we would know the truth, the truth having set us free to know you, to love you, and then to share that with others in the love of Christ. So be with us now, Lord God. Speak to us, we ask, for we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So we now are entering chapter 4 of uh, 1 John in the, the latter uh, part of the book. Not quite around the clubhouse turn or the final lap of the Indianapolis 500 as that's on later. But we, we enter chapter 4 and John is beginning to, having warmed up to his topic, uh, now having told us about uh, the love of God and the need to walk in the light, uh, moves on into knowing the difference between the true gospel from the false for those who are true teachers and false teachers. So I'm going to start reading from verse 23 of chapter 3 and read through verse 6 of 1 John 4. And uh, John writes as follows. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in them, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. When our sons were growing up and would watch cartoons, especially after school, one of their favorite cartoon shows was G.I. Joe. And in addition to making a bunch of cash from selling little G.I. Joe action figures, the creators of the show also produced a series of public service announcements which would warn kids about the dangers of such things as don't swim in a thunderstorm. Don't pull the fire alarm unless there's a fire. Teamwork helps you win, not arguments. And it's better to tell the truth. And they would show these public service announcements during the program. And at the end of each one of these PSAs, one of the kids would look at the G.I. Joe character that was leading the, the, the lesson and say, well, now we know. To which the G.I. Joe character would add, and knowing is half the battle. Well, in a sense, 
First John, if not the entire Bible, but First John in particular is the biblical equivalent of a public service announcement. John is warning his readers, he's warning us not to be deceived by false teachers preaching a false gospel about a false Jesus. It's an exhortation to us from the start of the letter right on through the end to keep walking in the light as he is in the light, to have fellowship with one another, to confess our sins, to trust Jesus as our advocate and savior, to continue loving one another just as Jesus has loved us, to keep on abiding in Christ and relying on the the absolute trustworthiness of the gospel. John is aware that the more that we know these things, it is more than half the battle. In fact, it is the whole battle. That the more we know the gospel, the more capable we are then to keep it, to share it, and most importantly, to defend it. The best defense against those false teachers preaching a false gospel about a false Jesus is a robust knowledge of the true gospel. To know the gospel is to know that God loves us. To know that God loves us is to have received his Holy Spirit as the sign of his love. And to have received the Holy Spirit, to know that is indeed to know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And the gospel as John defines it for us. We see it throughout the scriptures. The gospel is simply this, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The Son of God has come in the flesh to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's it in a a nutshell, in in a summary form. Now John is writing because he is concerned that there are those who have gone out from his congregation in belief of a false gospel. And we learned about these folks in John cha- in uh, chapter 2, where he warns about those antichrists who deny that Jesus is the Christ. They have gone out from among us and to be on guard against them. They now follow a, a different gospel. They now preach a different Jesus, he says. And so as chapter 4 begins, John's concern and the source of John's concern about this becomes all the more clear. Because now the the same people who went out from John's congregation are returning to evangelize the genuine gospel-believing members of his flock with this false gospel. And so this explains John's command to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out among us. He wants them to, he wants us to examine what is being said by these teachers about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And if it matches with what the scriptures say about Jesus, then that is the spirit of truth. These preachers are saying what is correct. But if it does not, if they proclaim, as we will see, a Jesus that is less than, that is not then the gospel, and they are preaching not from the Holy Spirit, not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they are inspired, as he says, the spirit of Antichrist. In his commentary on this text, uh, Daniel Aiken puts it like this, uh, that one should not receive as true every prophetic pronouncement just because the prophets claim to speak with divine authority. 
So we are not to be so naive as to think that just because someone speaks in the name of Jesus, they are in fact speaking the truth about Jesus. You need to be able to know the difference between error and truth, says John. You need to be able to know the, the truth about the gospel as opposed to the error. So that just as the Spirit of God inspires men and women to trust in Jesus and to spread his fame, the spirit of the Antichrist, well, he deceives men into believing a false gospel about a false Jesus who will then go out and deceive others. They may be absolutely sincere in their attempt to convince you about who Jesus is, but they are sincerely wrong if they are telling you about a Jesus who does, bears no resemblance at all to the Jesus of the Gospels. The ability to know the difference between then the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the Antichrist separates those who live in the light and walk in the light from those who live in the darkness and walk in the darkness. This is why God has given us the Holy Spirit to know the difference, to know light from dark, truth from error. This is why there is such a great emphasis here at Maranatha upon reading the Bible and knowing the Bible. Because the more we read the scriptures, the more we know the character and nature and um, integrity of God. So the more familiar we become with the truth, the easier it is to tell and separate truth from error. The Holy Spirit is given to help us know that difference. The Spirit is really given to protect us. In addition to all the other ministries that the Spirit has, it's the Spirit who protects us from being deceived by false teachers preaching a false gospel. John lays it out this way as as the chapter moves forward, that the Spirit protects us against the spirits seeking to deceive us into following another gospel. And then see that in verses 1 through 3. John is concerned here that more of his congregation are going to be deceived by these false teachers. Underlying his concern is the fact that he was there as an ear witness and as an eyewitness to what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 24, where Jesus said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. It's Matthew 24, 4 and 5. So John knows that Jesus himself gave this warning that there were those who would come in his name and proclaim that they were he and would then mislead. And so John says the only way to avoid, the best way to avoid being misled by that kind of character, that kind of teaching, is to become intimately acquainted with Christ. And the way that we do that is through knowing what the gospel, what the Bible says about Jesus. John knows, you understand, that this is more than just a a mere theological debate about what is the gospel and what is not the gospel. It's more than just a a debate about the doctrine of Christology, of of the nature and character of Christ. This is all-out spiritual warfare that he is talking about. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, writes the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6.12. And the weapons of our warfare, says Paul, 
are not of the flesh. That is, they are not of human origin or human design, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion, writes Paul, that is raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. And so knowing this and being familiar with the fact that it is with the word of God that we do battle with those who try to adulterate it or modify it or adapt it in some way to make it more palatable, more understandable to a modern ear. We are to be on guard against that by knowing that this is going to be the case. So we ought not fear spiritual warfare. We ought to be well-equipped and well-armed, not with militaristic weapons of sword and spear, but with the knowledge of the Scriptures and in the power of the Spirit. Because it is by the Word, if you will, that Satan deceived Eve. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Satan didn't manipulate Eve with threats of violence. He simply spoke to her. And so it's, if it's by the word we are deceived, it is also by the word that we conquer deception and expose it as being false. I have uh, hanging over my desk uh, in my office a pr the print of Yankee Stadium that was uh, given to me that I received on the day that um, I was installed as pastor along with pastors Eric and Pastor uh, Paul. Uh, included in that print, if you come into my office, I'll show you, including a print, is a, is a little tiny piece of a baseball that is said to come from a New York Yankees baseball game. And underneath that piece of baseball is written this. Very small print, but it's there. This collectible features a piece of baseball from a New York Yankees game. It has been obtained under the auspices of the Major League Baseball Authentication Program and can be verified by its numbered hologram at MLB.com. So, if on some rainy afternoon I look at that piece of baseball and start to wonder, is that really a baseball from a New York Yankees game? There is a test whereby I can verify its authenticity. I can go to MLB.com, I can enter in the hologram number, and lo and behold, its veracity will be proven. John says there is a similar test that we can subject every word that is told us about Jesus. And that test is very simple and very straightforward. Is the one who says what they say, he or she, about Jesus, do they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Because if they do, they are going to tell you the truth. If they do not confess that, if they somehow modify that, if they don't say that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. That is the spirit of error. So here we come back to John's initial point at the beginning of the letter, which is the importance of the incarnation, the importance of believing that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the divine being that we know as the Son of God, became man, who we know and worship as the Lord Jesus Christ. Every false gospel tinkers with the incarnation, adjusts it, just 
enough to make it more palatable to the modern mind. The incarnation, you understand, that idea that God became man, it is offensive to the modern mind. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. It just doesn't fit in with our rationalistic sense of the universe. The confession that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, however, is, well, it's the Rubicon, which only those who truly believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh will cross. Only those in whom the Spirit of God has opened the heart and mind to see and to understand and confess that will they understand the power of the Incarnation. For many, however, the idea that God, if he exists, would become man and still remain God, it smacks too much of ancient mythology. Too much of that flying spaghetti monster children's fairy tale stuff. Besides, even if, even if that were the case, that somehow Jesus were somewhat divine, we know, we know, because of how religion has infected everything, so the modern mind says, we know that there is a difference between the Christ of faith and the Jesus of history. And yet the Bible is unyielding on this point. The Christ of faith is the Jesus of history. They are the same person. More than that, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is fully God and fully man. And at his incarnation, it's not that Jesus put on a body of flesh the way I put on my, my sport coat this morning. He became man. He became flesh, yet was still God. John himself bears witness to this in his gospel. He said, the word became flesh and lived for a while among us. And when Jesus died, he didn't give up his flesh as though it were a rented tuxedo. So look, I don't need this anymore. And he brought it back to the dealer and deposited it there. No, he kept it. How do we know he kept it? His resurrection proves it. Why else, why else would Jesus then invite Thomas doubting Thomas, to place his hand in his side? Why else did Jesus tell the, the then incredulous apostles in the upper room, see my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. That's in Luke 24, 39. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, writes Paul in 1 Timothy 3.16. Jesus was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The false teachers that we are warned against, the ones that we are warned not to follow, work very diligently to separate the Jesus of history from the Christ of faith. But they are one and the same. And even, even if they do say that Jesus came in the flesh, what they mean is this, that Jesus simply, Jesus is simply the human form, the human body that the Christ took upon himself while he walked on the earth. Christ put on the, the body of Jesus the same way that we put on our clothing and when he was finished with that body, he shed it the way a, a snake sheds its skin. And if, if we grant 
that Christ came in the flesh? Well, it certainly wasn't to die for our sins. No, no, the, the Christ came to enlighten us with a, a secret truth, a password, if you will, by which we may gain access into heaven, by which we may gain access into some kind of spiritual power, some spiritual enlightenment, some spiritual knowledge that will separate us from mere religion because the truly, truly spiritual person is above all that. And to all this, the Bible says, rubbish. I would say something more strongly, but as Paul Simon would say, I'm a consecrated man. Rubbish, says the Bible. Or as my friend Peter Altebeth was wont to say, balderdash. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is truth. His life, his testimony proves it, verifies it. He is the way. He is the door into the presence of God. He is life itself. He is life everlasting. He is the life everlasting who gives us life by laying down his life for us. He has come in the flesh not to enlighten us with some secret truth, but to enlighten us is to our utter depravity and utter need for God because we are separated from him by our sin. He came as the truth. He came as the way, he came as the life, he came as the door. He came in the flesh to condemn sin. And to do so by putting it to death on a cross. I've been reading a, a book by an English Puritan named Thomas Goodwin. Uh, it's called Christ Set Forth. And um, it's the prelude to his other book called uh, The Heart of Christ. And The Heart of Christ is connected to Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. It's actually the source for Dane Ortland's book. So in reading Goodwin, you'll get a, just a full picture of the identity and character and mission of Christ and of the gospel. This is what Goodwin says about Christ in the book Christ Sets Forth. Sin, he writes, was the occasion of Jesus taking the likeness of sinful flesh, to condemn it, that is, to cast and overthrow its power and, and plea against us. That instead of sins condemning us, he might condemn sin, and that we might have the righteousness of the law. See, the thing is, most false gospels who preach a false Jesus do not look to Christ as the atoning work of salvation for us. That it's not something he does for us, but that we must do for ourselves by following his teachings. So that if we follow the enlightenment that we are given, we then can step onto the path that leads to eternal life. Every false religion is proven false by this simple fact. It will tell you what you must do to gain entry into either some kind of knowledge or some spiritual understanding or some nirvana. The gospel puts it the other way around. We're lost. We don't know the way home. We don't know the door. And even if we found the door, we don't have the key. We don't know where the key is to open that door. Because Christ himself is the key and he is the door. And he comes by his spirit to give us that key. So John says, you want to evaluate whether a gospel is true or not? Examine 
and ask it, what do you do about the problem of my sin? Because if you tell me that the way to deal with my sin is that I must submit myself to a rigorous program of self-improvement, I can go down to the bookstore and buy a book on keto or a self-exercise book, or I can go online and, or buy one of those Pelotons, and I'm good. But if you tell me that the way to deal with my sin is to see it nailed to a cross in the, in the body of Christ, now, now you're telling me the truth. Now you're giving me a hope beyond this life. Because I guarantee you, a very, very small percentage of those Pelotons still are used as Pelotons, but make wonderful coat racks. And a lot of those books that we buy, we drop them off at Goodwill. Or get rid of them altogether. Jesus Christ came in the flesh to condemn sin. That is offensive to the modern mind. It's supposed to be. Who likes, who wants to be told they're a sinner? And yet, unless we hear that, unless that truth pierces our heart, we cannot be saved. By faith in the death and resurrection of Christ, we are born again to a living hope. And this hope, this hope that we have in Christ and in his completed work, this is how we have confidence to stand before Christ and not be ashamed at his coming. Because we understand I am not clothed in my righteousness, but I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ because he clothed himself in my sinful flesh to condemn my sin in his flesh. That I now, by faith in him, might wear and be the righteousness of God. We're not saved by merely knowing what Jesus taught. We're saved by knowing Christ and him crucified, period. This is the gospel truth. This is the message we have heard from the beginning. This is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is why we, we emphasize and stress knowing and reading the Bible and studying the Bible, immersing ourselves in the scriptures. Because the more time we spend in the presence of God, reading his word, the more time we spend considering the beauty of our Lord, conquering the ugliness of our sin, the more we fortify our heart against those that would lead us astray. And the more graciously and the more powerfully we can speak to those who, were, who, who are as lost as we once were before Christ opened our eyes. And one more thing before moving on then. By the, the spirit of, of uh, Antichrist uh, here is meant those who are under the, those spirits uh, who are under the influence of the devil. Those individuals who proclaim a, a false gospel are, are literally the mouthpiece, if you will, for um, the spirits of the Antichrist, the spirit of, uh, of the devil. And people under the spirit of the Antichrist will manifest this influence in a variety of ways. In some cases, they will manifest this influence in behavior. And you see that certainly in the Gospels. And I'm sure you've seen enough 
you know, or read enough things about those who have been uh, possessed demonically and, and evidence that. John is not talking about that here. He is talking about those who manifest the presence of these uh, evil spirits by deceptive and deceitful speech that twists the gospel to make it more palatable and comfortable to the modern mind. The, the spirit of the Antichrist is exposed by the word of truth because no human who is under the influence of the spirit of the Antichrist confesses that Jesus is the Christ. That, John says that in chapter 2. And then here again in chapter 4, he says, no human under the influence of the, Holy, of the spirit of the Antichrist confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. They dismiss or downplay the incarnation. Only those who are anointed by the Holy Spirit confess that Jesus is the Christ. Only those who are anointed by the Spirit confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. We know this because the Bible tells us so. No one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. And if someone would ask, well, how do you know? Someone says, you know, Jesus has come in the flesh. How do you know that that confession is genuine? How do you know that they're actually telling the truth? Well, the second part of that is by how well they love one another. Because God's commandment, go back to verse 23 and 24 of chapter 3, God's commandment is that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another. And Jesus himself said, love one another just as I have loved you, because that's how the world will know that you are my disciples. So if someone says, yeah, I believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh and all of that, well, then the next thing, the next test is, is are you loving in the way that Jesus is loving? And if you're not, then let's go back to number one and examine that. Right? Because you can say a lot but our actions will ultimately reveal who is in control of how we live. And if we have confessed that Jesus is the Christ, believe that he has come in the flesh, then we will love one another. And we will love one another as Jesus loves us. We will be gracious. We will be kind. We will speak the truth in love. We will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit that Paul describes in Galatians 5.22. We will put on the virtues of our new life that Paul describes in Colossians 3, 12 to 17. We will in all ways imitate the one who redeemed us. So the Holy Spirit helps us understand this. Right? The Holy Spirit protects us from being deceived by false teachers preaching a false gospel about a false Jesus. And then in the last part of, of the text this morning, the Holy Spirit protects us uh, against the people speaking under the influence of the spirits who are seeking to deceive us into following a false gospel. It's verses 4 through 6. And here, here John sort of changes his, his uh, again, he sort of re resorts to a, a pastoral tone when he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. So he's, he's immediately sort of putting to rest, you know, because you start talking about spirit of the Antichrist, you start talking about demonic spirits, and right away you're on edge. Oh, and John says, no, 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 little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, 
Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So rest assured, says John, you are from God. You have overcome them. Don't be deceived into thinking that somehow you have missed out on the salvation Jesus brings because you haven't received some kind of special knowledge or you've had, you haven't had some kind of mystical experience or an ecstatic encounter or somehow haven't missed or missed out on seeing signs and wonders. These are not how we know we are from God. These are not how we overcome It's by grace we've been saved through faith, writes Paul. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Because a lot of times people who preach a false gospel go on to great length about their experiences. They're the hero of every story. They are the victor in every battle. Everything goes well with them. There's never any hardship, and if there is, that hardship is turned into some sort of exercise in which they can prove their virility or their championness. <laughs> There's a word for you, championness. You also get to see the, the interdisciplinary inter, uh, nature of the scriptures, bringing in what, what John says, bringing in what Paul says, so the Bible then becomes connected in assuring us of our salvation. Salvation is and always will be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Greater is the Spirit of God who is in you than the Spirit of Antichrist who is out in the world, says John. We can know that we are from God by remembering certain things. We know we are from God because we have been anointed by the Spirit. We know we are from God because it is the Spirit, by the Spirit, we confess that Jesus is the Christ. We know that we are from God because it is the Spirit, by the Spirit, that we keep God's commandment to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. We know we are from God by the Spirit whom He has given us. We know we are from God because He abides in us by His Spirit. And we know we are from God because it is by the Spirit that we confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus overcame the world, the flesh, and the devil by the word of his testimony and by the blood of his crucifixion. We know we are from God because we have and will overcome the same way by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The word of our testimony is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'll say it again. The more we know the gospel, the more passionate we are to keep it, the more passionate we are to share it, the more passionate we are to defend it. The best defense against false teachers preaching a false gospel about a false Jesus is to develop, to cultivate, to nurture a robust knowledge of the gospel. And as you do, you will come to understand another glorious truth, that God really does love you. That he really does love you. And has given all of us his Holy Spirit to teach us the true gospel about the true Jesus. 
So to know the gospel is to know that God loves us. And to know that God loves us is to have received his Holy Spirit who confirms that love. And to have received the Spirit is then to be able to know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And I'll just, I'll just end uh, with this then. So suppose, <clears throat> I don't know how many of you like to hike, but suppose you're out hiking in the woods and having run out of water, uh, you discover a stream of water. Now, would knowing the source of the stream help you decide whether to drink from it or not? If you knew, let's say, the water in that stream was the runoff of melting snow from a distant mountain range, you would likely drink that water without hesitation. However, if you knew that the water in that, in that stream originated from a river known to have a high lead content, would you still drink from it? Both are water. Both, in a manner of speaking, will satisfy your thirst. The only difference is the source, because the source, the source affects its content. Every stream flows with water, but not all water is safe to drink. In the same way, every prophet, every teacher, every preacher may be inspired by a spirit. But not every spirit is the spirit of God. Not every spirit is the spirit of truth. So to test those spirits, to see whether they are from God, means engaging in spiritual warfare. And the weapon by, by which we engage in this warfare, the weapon that is given to us, is in fact the word of God. Paul calls the word of God the sword of the spirit in Ephesians 6. And in John's gospel, we're told that Jesus is the word become flesh. More than that, he is the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, says Jesus, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so that means if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, the darkness will not overcome us as well. The darkness will not overcome anyone who truly knows the word, who truly listens to the word, who truly trusts in the word. The darkness will not overcome anyone who, having received the Holy Spirit, tests the spirits to see whether they are from God, because the Spirit protects us from being deceived by false teachers preaching a false gospel about a false Jesus. You think about that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, let us not be fearful of being misled. But let us, with patience, with diligence, and with joy, joy from your Holy Spirit, enter into a deeper knowledge of who you are and of your word, that we might with ease begin to distinguish between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then in that confidence, share that word of truth that word of the gospel, that confession of Christ, with the same patience, diligence, and joy. We ask and pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.